0: We'll be in Judges chapter 6 this morning. Um, We are uh, in our series in the book of Judges, working through that. Uh, It's called Out of Sight, Out of Mind, and I would encourage you, if you haven't or missed uh, some of those messages, to go online online. And uh, catch up for that. We also have a a Bible reading plan for you uh, in the back so you can, uh, in the Welcome Center. So if you want to uh, follow along with us in your reading, you can do that as well. I just want to make a a brief comment. Um, I had the opportunity to go to a a smorgasbord uh, yesterday. And if you've ever been to a smorgasbord, it's just like food out the wazoo. Um, And thinking about um, what we do here on Sunday morning, the ministry of the Word. Uh, Sunday morning, as an illustration, is like a baked potato. You come and you you get fed up by, we get fed with the Word of God. And if you get first hour, you get half the baked potato. And if you stay second hour, you might get the other half. Uh, But then all throughout the week, you know, you can't really get yourself nourished on the baked potato. It's like going to a a smorgasbord and just grabbing one baked potato and just kind of going back and just enjoying it and savoring it. So I'd encourage you, uh, make sure you're in God's Word throughout the week uh, because God's Word is like the buffet and we can just never out. Uh, resource that, and uh, we can just always learn from that as we go. So um, we're, yeah, like I said, we're in the book of Judges. We're in the ch- story of Gideon. We're going to be talking about this is midpoint uh, in the Judges series, uh, not necessarily midpoint in the chapter, but midpoint in the Judges. And so Gideon's the middle judge, and what we're doing is we're seeing a little bit of a different um, nuance from that, and so we're going to take our time and just kind of uh, zoom in on Gideon, and so we're going to be looking at Gideon over the course of, of four weeks. Um, next week, we'll take a break, and we're going to have Life Catalyst here, so I'd encourage you um, to do that, um, but we'll be back after that, and we're going to continue to learn through Israel's example of from the judges and studying and teaching um, through that. And as I've been preparing this and I'm studying to, to teach our Idols of the Heart class, I've been, let's just say, I've been a little convicted uh, in my study of Judges. And I don't know if you've been uh, here through the preaching and if you're in the Idols of the Heart class, conviction might be uh, yours as well. Uh, and I just want to be real honest, just because I know most of you in here think I'm perfect, I'm not. I'm not. And the closer you are to me, the closer you will realize how true of a statement that is. If you would like some examples, you can talk to my lovely wife uh, and eventually my daughter, Sophia. But, um, yeah, I'm not perfect, you know, and everybody can go like, phew, you know, just kind of sigh relief. But, and I struggle with sin. Even as a pastor, I struggle with sin. And sin is a rebellion against God and his law. That's what sin is, in in the simplest definition. Sin is rebellion against God and his law, and and I struggle with it. And even though I am a believer, I know my sin is ultimately paid for by Jesus, I still, like, it just doesn't go away when I, you know, accepted Christ's gift of forgiveness. I still deal with uh, some of those ongoing consequences of sin. And I think we can say that we all struggle with sin, too, it. Would you raise your hand if you struggle with sin here this morning? Yeah, so there's a bunch of us. And maybe if you're not raising your hand, uh, you can see what the definition of lying is in the Bible. <laughs> all right? So we all struggle with sin, right? We look. And so everybody can just take a deep breath. <sighs> all right? We Okay, we're in a church. We can just be relaxed. And um, we all struggle with sin. So how do we deal with this? How do we keep following God and obeying God while we keep rebelling and disobeying him, and so that's kind of the the, the construct and the the thought I want to walk through this morning, um, because as as Christians as as followers of Jesus, yes, yeah, that sin has been paid for, but we still wrestle, and we still go through um, sinful times and, and struggles. And if you're here today, and maybe you're like, ah, I don't, I'm not really a Christian. I don't really would call myself a Christian I don't really know for sure that I have a relationship with Jesus the Bible tells you that you're an enemy of God and ultimately you will pay for your sin if you don't accept and believe the good news of Jesus Christ who paid for that sin And so as we get into the book of Judges uh, we've talked about this the sin cycle right we have talked about rebellion and then ruin and then remorse, and then, all right, put up all these R's. I think I have a slide on, kind of like an overview uh, of this, because I'm not really good at memorizing uh, all of this stuff, but the, the rebellion, all of that, is that up there? Yeah, here we go. So we got rebellion, we've got ruin, we've got remorse. This is going to be new to our study today, rebuke, but we got restoration, rest, and repeat. And the first couple verses in Judges chapter 6 is going to kind of hit on these four. We're going to hit on these four and then we'll save uh, the rest uh, for later. Um, But what happens is, is ruin comes from rebellion against God and his word. Ruin comes from rebellion against God and his word. And we're going to see that um, in our passage uh, in Judges today. So Judges chapter 6 Um, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 10. This kind of sets the stage for the Gideon narrative. And like I said, we'll have a break next week, and then we'll dive back in after that. So Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, If you're you're using a Bible or you need a Bible under the chairs in front of you, uh, that's on page 169. I would encourage you to follow along as I read so you know that I'm not just blowing smoke here, that this is God's Word and this is what He says. So let's read this. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. And they did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock in their tents like swarms of a locust. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all of your oppressors. I drove them out before you, And gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. Well, let's pray and we'll dive into this passage. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have kept it for us. It's true, it's reliable, it's accurate. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, able to convict us, to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, to train us in righteousness so that as your servants, we may know and be equipped for all the good works that you've prepared in advance for us. Lord, as we look to your word this morning, help us to learn from Israel's example. Help us to learn what we need to learn about you, what we need to learn about humanity and ourselves in general. Lord, I pray that you would help us not just hear your word, but to be doers of it this morning. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So ruin comes from rebellion against God and his word. And so we're just going to kind of walk through this. Ruin comes from rebellion against his word. Rebellion. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And this evil, if you look, this evil in the, uh, the uh, section of Judges is referring to idolatry. Israel worshiping the gods of the land in which they're in. They're, they're copying the gods of the people that they were supposed to drive out, and they didn't fully obey God and drive them all out. And so God left them there and they became a snare to them and God used those nations to uh, correct and rebuke, but what they did is they were doing evil. They were acknowledging, worshiping, serving the, the gods of the people around them, the ones that they failed to drive out. God made a covenant with them, or you could say God gave them commandments. God gave them ten commands, and the ten commandments with his people that if they were to obey him, They would experience the blessing or the blessedness that comes from following God in his ways or from obeying his word. And that was partly in form of dwelling in the land. They would live in the land flowing of milk and honey, right? They would enjoy that. And then through that, through their obedience, eventually all the nations around them would be blessed. They would see this nation of Israel obeying and following the Lord and experiencing the blessing of living towards God's design. And the other nations be like, wow, things are going well for them. What's different about you? And they could say, hey, we worship and serve the Lord. We obey him. And they're like, oh, tell me about this. And they become uh, a witness or a kingdom of priests to, to bless the nations around them. And they would fulfill what they were created to do to be God's image throughout the world. And so people would see their obedience. They would see that image of Christ in them, the image of God. And they would be led to, to, to forsake their false gods and worship the one true God. But they didn't do that. In Exodus 20 is the, is the section of the great commandments. And this is what Exodus 20 says. And God spoke all these words to them. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? You shall not have no other gods before me. I threw the King James version in there because that's what I memorized. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or on the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I am the Lord, what's this word? Your God. And I am a jealous God. God is saying I am your God, the one true God, your God, your covenant God, and I'm giving you these things, and you are to worship me because he is jealous. And if you created the world, if you created every living thing, if you created a group of people, the natural result of that would be to worship him and to follow what he says. God also talks about this in Exodus 23. If you do a couple of chapters later, kind of the outworking of that covenant, that if you obey me, things will go well for you. Exodus 34 talks about the conquest of the land. Hey, you're going to go into this land, and if you obey me, if you follow me, we will drive them out, or I will drive them out for you, and it will be great. If you don't, things were going to happen. Joshua 24 is another one of those passages. And then Judges 2. If you turn back a couple of pages to Judges chapter 2, verses 1-4. through four. And the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim Bo- and said, I have brought you up out of Egypt. And led you to the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you in return shall not make a covenant with the people of this land. But you shall break down their altars. And not worship their God. You have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I've also said, I will not drive them out before you. And they will become tra- traps for you. Their gods will become snares to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken this to the Israelites, they they wept aloud. This is what happened. They, They failed to drive them out. They failed to obey God and his word, and things weren't going well for them. And as a result, God handed them over to the Midianites. So we all have this tendency and this struggle. Are we going to obey God and his word, or are we going to rebel against it? And we've talked about out of sight, out of mind. When God is not, we are not focusing on God and his word, and he's not in our minds, we're not thinking about him and his word and obeying him and worshiping him and pleasing him, we will rebel, and we will go our own way, and we will do what we want, and that will not go well for us. This is, you guys know this, and when we get ourselves into a pickle, you're like, man, how did I get myself into this pickle jar? And like, well, you jumped in head first and you closed the lid and you're trying to get out, but you can't, right? We, we know this, right? We, we do. And so we have the, a tendency to disobey God in his word and I think we, we do that because we don't trust him. We don't love him. We don't know him enough to say, okay, God's word is true and if I follow that, it's going to go better for me than if I try to do things my own way. And that rebellion leads to ruin. Verse one B. So it didn't even take them a half of a verse. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. For seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And then the rest of this section will kind of unpack that ruin kind of unpack how that came about, what was characteristic of that ruin. So the author takes a majority of the section of verses 1 through 10 to talk about and describe the ruin that they were facing. Let's look at it. They were so oppressed, or were so oppressive. So because of the power of the Midianite was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, in caves, in strongholds. So they weren't able to dwell in the land. They, they ran from the land. They fled to the mountains, and they had to live in caves. Kind of sounds primitive, doesn't it? They had to, to live in, in the mountain cliffs and in strongholds. Now, was this God's design for Israel? No. Their design was to be in the land, the land flowing with milk and honey, That was God's design for them. God told them that when they went into the land, he would drive out the enemy nations so that they would be able to live there. And God wants his people. God is a loving God, and he wants to, his people to experience the blessedness that comes from doing the life the way he designed. Let me illustrate this again. Proverbs 15.1. This is what Proverbs 15.1 says. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. If you've ever been into a verbal conflict with someone, you know this to be true. If someone is angry and they respond to you, and you also respond in anger or a harsh word, what happens? Boom! Fireworks, explosions, right? You kind of get at it. We we know that to be true because we've all been there, right? Am I just the only one that's like, you know or or maybe instead of your words it's it's the hand on the horn right but a soft answer if you uh, if you answer someone in anger with a soft answer it's amazing what happens it's like a wet blanket it just kind of diffuses the situation now it's hard to do cuz naturally we're like oh you're yelling at me what and you want to go back but so, but the lord can give you wisdom and um, the ability to, to respond softly. And it, and it doesn't stir up anger. I was just talking with, with Jake the other day. Uh, God gave Israel a law not to eat meat from a pig. That's unclean meat. And scientific, scientific studies show that if you don't take care of pigs, if you don't keep them clean, um, you're going to get bad bacon. So dirty pigs make bad bacon. All right, Just a, a note for yourself. And what he was saying is like, hey, don't eat that unclean animal. Eat clean things. He also told them to to wash their hands, right? You wash their hands. Why do you wash your hands? So you don't get sick, right? So you don't get, you know, all that. And and God was telling them, hey, this is why I'm telling you to do things, because it's going to benefit you. It's positive. And we can illustrate it that way. And, And God doesn't want his people to experience ruin. He wants to experience them life his way with him but he doesn't just leave his people in ruin thank the lord right you know he could have probably just walked away from israel turned his back on them he's like hey clean up your own mess you made your own bed right now sleep in it but he doesn't and praise the lord he he lovingly rebukes him and this is something that we add to the 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 cycle so we've got um i think it's on here again because i'm yeah we got rebellion we've got ruin and then we've got this like remorse because you see what they do. They call out to the Lord. They call out to the Lord, and this is what it says. Why do they call out to the Lord? What does your Bible say? Was that? They call out to the Lord, verse five or verse six, because Midian so impoverished them. They 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 got this um, ruin. It was so bad that they had to live in caves, that they couldn't plant crops because these people came in and just ravaged the land, that they so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And this is the, the remorse. And it's interesting that they cried out to the Lord because of Midian. They called out to the Lord because of their situation. Notice they don't cry out to the Lord because of their sin. It doesn't say and Israelite, they, the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of their sin of idolatry or because that they did evil. It says because of Midian. And I think sometimes, like the Israel, we can cry out to the Lord because of our situation. God, help me because I'm in this pickle jar. Instead of saying, Lord, hey, I, I sinned. I got myself in a pickle. Can, can you help me? And so they cry out because of Midian. I think sometimes we can do the same thing. So then he lovingly, he doesn't quite raise up the deliverer. He sends the prophet and he gives them a loving rebuke. A loving rebuke. This is what he says. And this is, the, the, the author keeps the majority of this on the rest of uh, the passage. And it starts in verse 7. So when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. So he's saying, the Lord, and that's the, the God's personal name, his covenant name that he used with his people. So instead of saying like, you know, um, Pastor Scott, I need some help. It's like, hey, Scott. Like there was a personal the God's personal name. And then he emphasizes it with saying, the God of Israel. So it's your God, Israel. Not the other gods, your God. This is what he says. And then you see the Lord's uh, speech here. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord, Yahweh, his personal name, your God, your personal God here. And this is what he said, do not worship the gods of the Amorites in the land at which you live, but you have not listened to me. And God gently and lovingly rebukes them in saying, hey, this is what's happening to you. This is the ruin that's coming about because one, I am your God and you are not worshiping me. You are actually worshiping the gods of the Amorites, the same gods that I told you not to worship. And I think sometimes we can get so caught up in our situation that we forget that maybe part of the reason we are in our situation, that we are in ruin, is because of our own sin. Right? Like, the best way to ruin, you know, your uh, work environment is to sin. The best way to ruin your relationships is to sin. The best way to uh, ruin uh, harmony in the home is to Continue to sin, and he's like, "This is why ruin is coming about because you have not listened to me." And therefore, in verse uh, chapter verse one, he says, "The Lord handed them over; he gave them into the hand of the Midianites." It's interesting because that word "gave them into your hand" when he gives the the covenant and the commands, he said, "If you obey me, I will give the nations, the uh, foreign nations." into your hand, Israel. And so we see their ruin of sin reversing what God wanted to do. He cried out because of their situation. And so he gently rebukes them. It's interesting, we've talked about the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. We talk about Barak. Um, it's the, by faith, this person did this. And it gives all these accounts of all of these people who by faith followed the Lord. And in that a hall of faith, we call it, uh, there's Barak is mentioned. We've heard Pastor Glenn talk about that and, and Pastor Mitch. And then Gideon is also mentioned. And I find it very coincidental, right? We could say sovereign or providential, that right after Hebrews 11 is Hebrews 12. And Hebrews 12, this is like if you have a Bible, it's going to use like a heading. This is what the heading of Hebrews 12 says. The Lord's loving discipline. And I'm going to read it for you. If you want, you can turn there because I'm going to read the whole passage. I, I want us to, to see this. But it's verse chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and from the context, it's all the people in Hebrews 11, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Or you could say, Becomes a snare or a trap to us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before Christ, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such oppositions from sinners so that me, you may not grow weary and lose heart. And What is he talking about? Lo- being weary and growing heart. It's talking about being weary and losing heart from running your race and, and things like the, the Christian faith. And he says in verse four, God disciplines his children. That's the heading there. In your struggle against sin, have you not resisted to the point of shedding blood? And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that it addresses you as a father addresses his son? And he's quoting from Proverbs here My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens them, everyone he accepts as his son. And sometimes we can be exhausted, we can be weary because of the ruin that we're in. And the author of Hebrews is saying, don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Why? Because the Lord disciplines the one that he loves. It would have been totally unloving for God not to rebuke Israel. to leave them in their sin, to continue them on the path that they were going away from him, but he lovingly rebukes them to bring them back. Verse 7, endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate or true sons and daughters at all. So he's saying, discipline, God's loving rebuke, comes as a result of being a child of God. Comes as a result. And the reason that God rebukes his children is because Christ brought us, bought us, and placed us into God's family. We were once enemies of God. We were actually children of the devil, as John says in the book of John. But because of Jesus, he took us out of that sinful family and put us into God's family. And so sometimes I think we, we can undergo rebuke and it can be very hard. It can be very difficult. Even the word rebuke or discipline has negative connotations in our world. But rebuke and rebellion, excuse me, rebuke and discipline are are words and actions associated by a loving father to correct their children. If, if I wasn't a loving father, I would not discipline Sophia for behaving in a way that's not helpful to her and to those around her. And just imagine if I did not love her at all and I just never corrected her from doing wrong. The easiest one is we discipline Sophia for attempting to put her fingers in the electrical outlet, right? That's that's reasonable, right? Because if, just imagine if I didn't discipline her for that, or Haley didn't discipline her for that, that would be pretty shocking, wouldn't it? (laughs) And would I be a loving father? Would we be loving parents? No, because what happens is discipline is there to guide and to correct and prevent us from ruin. Because I'm sure she would be fairly ruined if she stuck her finger in the electrical outlet. And so we must, see, uh, uh, we must see discipline and rebuke from a loving father. So ruin comes from rebellion against God and his word. But here's the beauty of the gospel. And again, we're, we're a church that talks about sin here. We're not going to sugarcoat anything because the reason we talk about sin is so we can talk about the gospel. Because Jesus Christ paid for our sin, so we are no longer masters over it. And this is the beauty of the gospel, the good news. Ruin comes from rebellion against God and his word, but redemption comes from recognizing God's son and his work. Ruin comes from rebellion against God and his word. Redemption comes by recognizing God's son and his work. And we saw that in Hebrews, fixing our eyes on Jesus 2 Corinthians 5 is a beautiful example of the gospel. I'm going to read it for us. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord, or you can say to worship or revere the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you the opportunity to take pride in us so you can answer those who take pride rather in what is seen rather than what is the heart. It says, for we are out of our mind if some say it is for God in our right mind, but for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that Christ died for all and therefore all died, talking about died to sin. And he died for all so that those who live, those who are born again, those who have been bought and placed into God's family, should no longer live for themselves, doing what they want, but for him who died and gave them up And was raised again. So for Jesus. So we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Jesus. So from now on, we regard no one as a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. All of this is from God, who has reconciled us or has restored our relationship to God that was broken because of sin, The world to himself, and is not counting the people's sins against them. So, through Christ, the gospel, God is not counting sin against them. So, our sins have not been um, counted against us if we are in Christ. And He has committed us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His repeal on us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And this is the gospel here God made him who knew no sin, who didn't sin, Jesus to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God put our sin on Christ so that he could put Christ's righteousness on us so we could be restored to God. And so have you recognized God's son, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world and his work on the cross to provide redemption or to provide payment for your sin? And if you've never done that, the Bible says that you are still under God's just judgment. And today, you can recognize Jesus, God's Son, the Savior of the world, and His work on the cross to pay for your sins so that you don't have to pay for it yourself, and you could be part of God's family. And you no longer would be... um, defeated by the the crushing effects of sin and that you can actually, through Christ, work and become more like Jesus and fight sin? And then if you're a believer, are you constantly remembering and rehearsing the gospel to yourself as a means of confession and ongoing repentance to fight sin and remove it for your life? Because the same gospel that saved us is the same gospel that changes us to be more like Jesus. And so when we struggle in our sin, if we remember the gospel that Christ has paid for this, I'm not going to pay for this, we can say, okay, what can I learn? Or what rebuke do I need to change? Or what behavior or what uh, sinful thinking do I need to realign And to be corrected and disciplined by my loving father so that I can not get back in the pickle jar. Does that make sense? So, what do we need to do? What do we learn from Israel's like the rebuke and God's word? Is we we realize that ruin comes from a rebellion against God and His Word. God sent a prophet who's a spokesperson from God. And we have God's word that says this is why they're in that situation because they have not obeyed. They have not listened to God. They did this evil in God's sight. They worshiped the the idols of the gods around them. And so we do this too. Like we're not removed from judges. We do this too. We we worship the, the gods of the world in which we live. Whether that's success, whether that's money, whether that's prestige, whether that's people liking and enjoying us over what God says. We, we say, the culture says, you do you. Be who you want to be. Follow your heart. Where the Bible says, no, your heart is deceitfully wicked. Follow God and become like him. So as, as closing application, what, what do we need to do? Well, if you're an unbeliever here today, if you've never repented for salvation and recognized God's Son and His work, work, is to see your situation and understand your ruin and to cry out to the Lord because in His love and in His kindness sent you His Son Jesus to die for your sins. All of the evil things that you do God sent his son Jesus to die for those so that you can be redeemed from sin and have a right relationship with God. You can do that simply by acknowledging that to God and trusting in him for salvation. Realizing that nothing you can do can take away your sin. It's only what Christ has done. And so for the believers here, the rest of us Heritage Church family We need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. We need to remember that when we get up in the morning, that Christ has paid for our sins. We have God's spirit to empower us to fight sin. And so that we fix our eyes on Jesus, like the passage in Hebrews said, the author and perfecter of our faith, so that we remember him. We remember his work. And when we remember him and his work, We're called to awe and worship to say, hey, I should be in hell because of my sin. I should be in ruin. Like, I mean, if we ask some of of all of us believers in here, if you think, because of what you know of yourself and your sin, should you be in Heritage Baptist Church today? Should you be here? And depending on what God has allowed you to be, maybe you shouldn't even be alive because of your sin. Maybe you, you shouldn't even be in a church because you would have gone off and said, I, I don't know God, I don't want anything to do with God. But because God, through Christ, invaded your life, disciplined you and changed your trajectory so that you are here today. So we need to preach the gospel to ourselves to fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus says, apart from me, we can do nothing. And that involves our struggle against sin. We need to heed or appreciate the loving rebuke and the discipline for our Heavenly Father. So when we get in ruin because of our sin, we should ask ourselves, am I in this mess because of a sin that the Lord is trying to correct me? And sometimes it's really obvious. Like I used a harsh word with someone who was angry with me and it didn't really go well. Or maybe you are praying and you're asking God, you're praying Psalm 139, God, search my heart, try me and know me, see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me into the path of everlasting. And maybe you're like, you know what, God just, there hasn't been anything from his word or from his spirit that has revealed like, a sin in this situation. And maybe it's caused by the sin of someone else. And then what do we do? Well, we need to pray and to trust that God will deal with them in his own way. We don't need to take vengeance or justice on our own. We need to trust him and pray for them that that if there is sin on their part, that God would make that known to them, that they would heed God's loving discipline. So when we encounter that, we need to look at our hearts and see if repent of, and then we don't need to just be remorseful, we need to repent, we need to, to change our mind about that. So if I get in a situation and I use a harsh word and it stirs up anger, I need to repent. Lord, that is not what you have called me to do. And by doing a harsh word, it actually stirred up wrath. And we need to think differently. We need to say, okay, that wrathful word or that harsh word stirs up wrath, so a soft answer turns it away. And we need to think and to tell ourselves and to believe that what God says Is true and we need to do that God created us again to enjoy relationship with him and the blessings that come from that because of his great love for us and he provided our ultimate deliverance from sin so that we could be made right with God and as a result we work and grow to love and obey God more and more and to reflect his image to those around us and bringing blessing and a testimony that comes from following the Lord. Students, you're going to hear about this at HSM, but I would encourage everyone to read Psalm 1. And it talks about blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor seat in the sit of scoffers but whose delight blessed is the man who his delight is on the law of the Lord. And on it, he meditates, he thinks about it day and night. So instead of God being out of sight and out of mind leading to our ruin, if God is on our minds and in our sight, if we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, we'll be able to worship him above everything else. We won't give in to the idols of the world. And just imagine, just imagine what God would do with people who are experiencing the blessing that comes from obeying God and enjoying him, what that would say to people who don't know God. What would that say? And someone looks at your life and says, why does everything seem to go really well for you? You can respond, well, it doesn't always go well for me, but it does seem like God is blessing me because I'm following his son's example, and I'm following his word. God created us to enjoy that relationship with him, and when we do that, we can enjoy him forever, and that's what we're called to do. we find ourselves in challenging situations, let's ask ourselves, is the Lord trying to lovingly discipline or rebuke us so that we can follow what he has for us and experience the blessing because of that? Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Israel and their ruin. And help us to Take courage and encouragement from the situations that we find ourselves in. Lord, give us a a heart and a mind to evaluate things based on your word. Help us to first search our own hearts to see if there is any wicked way in us that have caused this and, and to ask ourselves are you trying to teach us something? You work in our lives to to do that, to teach us, to ultimately point us to Jesus. So I ask that you would give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear what you're telling us to do. And Lord, that would we trust you more and more as we love you more and more and that the cares of this world and the vices of sin and the, the pleasures of sin would just melt away when we fix our eyes on you and what you've done for us. Help us to be people motivated by the gospel, who are able to live the gospel, who are able to share the gospel with those in need. And we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.